0: Welcome folks to the seventh episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where a couple and sometimes three old guys are talking Houston Cougars and Big 12 college hoops with a bit of national big game coverage as well. We're into Feast Week, which typically consists of the best set of college basketball games for fans to enjoy prior to conference play beginning. We're also at the point where, with six games in, it's enough where I will begin to reference the Ken Palm and various other stats strictly from this season in our analysis moving forward. And today, we again have Bill Walker back to co-host with Tom Lidiak and myself, Steve Chang. And like last week, we'll start off with a summary of the Houston Cougars games that were played, move into a preview of their games in the coming couple of weeks, then highlight some key Big 12 games to watch for with special attention placed on the Big 12 Big East challenge games since we feel there's greater importance as it relates to conference strength come tourney selection time. Okay, let's get right into it, gentlemen. We're going to recap the three games from the Charleston Classic, which the Cougars did win. First game being with Towson, where we downed the Tigers 65-49. to Good win, but closer than our previous three games, which I will remind you guys would be the case based on analytics. Now, Tom, what are your coach's thoughts about our win to kick off the tournament?
1: Well, I, first off, I had to record the game. So by the time I watched it, I, I knew the final score. And we, we exactly didn't finish at the finish line, you know, going going strong, kind of petered out there toward the end. I think we had 63 points, I think. And there was still like 622 left in the game. And I knew we only had 65. So I'm thinking, oh, geez, you know, we, we scored two points. Uh, but you know, we're doing the same thing we did last year. Uh, uh, same defense. There were some rotation snafus here and there, but it looks like as each game that we play and the competition became a little bit better. You know, some of the 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 new guys that are coming in, it's becoming a little more intuitive. But still, you know, our our defense still has a has a way way to go before we head to big Big 12 play. But yeah, overall, it was you know it was good game, and then it kind of got. Uh, muddy muddy there toward toward the end after we had, get, had the game locked up.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I completely agree. It, it definitely feels like, and we'll get through all three games where we can talk about the players and the comfort level as uh, they're getting used to playing with each other. But Bill, what do you think about the game?
2: I mean, I thought it was kind of the tale of two halves. The first half, the defense was just extraordinary. Uh, 16 points they scored in the first half. I mean, we we were so good and and on our way and i guess i'm trying to cover myself because i did say it would be a 30 point win (laughs) we were up 20 at half and and on our way to a 30 plus point victory i thought we got out to that lead and the fact that we're on espn 2 i think the whistles and i'm never i get into arguments with people about this all the time when they complain about the whistles not being in our favor I thought they were a little bit against us in that game and I can kind of understand that. It's on ESPN2. You don't want the casual fan seeing a huge blowout and, you know, flipping over to the food network to see a competition about who can cook the best <laughs> platypus using 3-month-old onions or something like that. And so I could see where they maybe wanted to keep it a little closer than than they otherwise might but the other thing was, and we began to slow down. And, it, and I agree with Tom; it looked sluggish in the second half, especially offensively. Number one, this was this was the first road game we played. The other thing is, Tom, you had mentioned something when we spoke offline about hearing Kelvin yelling "rebound" at the beginning of the game, and you could you could definitely hear him. He was. I could you know, hear the microphones were near him.
1: I could hear two uh, words over and over and over. One was "rebound," and the other was Damien. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to get to both of those. You know, the second half, I was listening for more of Calvin and didn't hear much. I think, and I should have taken this into account when I made the 30-point prediction, we were playing the very next day against Utah. I think Calvin just took his foot off the accelerator. I think he wasn't, he, he was okay. We had the game in hand. We were going to win, and and that was that. Let's not wear ourselves out. Let's keep the energy up for the Utah game, which was the very next day. Quite honestly, I was wondering if maybe one of you two guys had uh, put on a mask and were out there impersonating Don because it just did not look like he showed up. I mean, he was really, (laughs) and I could include myself in that as well. Yeah, he just looked like he didn't show up. It, It was kind of surprising, especially since he's one of the veterans out there. But overall, it was you know, it was what it was. We won comfortably. We, you know, I don't think anybody was worn out. We were ready to go against Utah. And uh, and so it was a good win. Yeah, getting back to Damien, was that the first game he started?
0: It was. Yeah. I was going to cover it, it, it that was. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. I think it was the
1: first game he started. And I think we all mentioned this with, you know, we were texting back and forth. That one of you guys mentioned that uh, it's like he left his legs in, in Houston. I don't know. Maybe he gets motion sickness and he had too much drama meaning in his system. <laughs> I don't know. But. He did look sluggish. The handles weren't there, and yeah, we'll just leave it at that.
0: Okay. I mean, from an analytics perspective, and, and I'll start off by, again, talking about the starters as we just referenced. We had Jamal Shelly, LJ Cryer, Damian Dunn starting for the first time, Juwan Roberts, and Javier Francis. We continue to see more of the four-out, one-in lineup with Terrence Arsenault at the four. But the big difference was we started to see Ramon Walker beginning to cede some of his minutes to Arsenal in this game. And as we cover the remaining games, that will become a trend. We started fast on this one and never looked back, as we talked about earlier, up 37 17 at the half. Then Towson settled down and we kind of coasted, quite honestly, in the second half. And as you pointed out, Bill, rightfully so, because This is, what, three games in four days, basically, so you need to save your legs. So it was a comfortable win. LJ Cryer continued to get comfortable with a second game in a row with 18 points, 3 of 7 from 3. Sharp got off with 14 points, 3 of 5 from 3. While, as you guys stated, Damian Dunn and also my favorite player, Jojo Tugler, struggled in this game. Now, from an analytics perspective on offense, our effective field goal percentage was a tiny bit below standard at 47.4%. We protected the ball overall with turnover percentage at 14.14%. And we didn't offensive rebound all that well at 26.23% versus standard last year. Though we did defensive rebound very well, keeping Towson from getting any offensive rebounds. On defense, we limited Towson to 42.86% field goal percentage right at standard, forced them to 17% turnovers, just below our norm of 21.1%. Limited three-point percentage shooting to 26.7%, which is right on standard. And then we blocked 7.41% of their two-point shots versus 16.7% forecasted from last year. So we basically played to our norms, given this was a tougher opponent playing on a neutral court. So a good win. Move on to the next round. And the next game at Charleston was versus Utah. And the Cougars grinded through what I'll call a statement winning 76-66 win. Bill, why don't you start off? Any thoughts on our win against Utah?
2: Yeah. Calvin Kelvin had mentioned afterward in his post-game conference analysis that, that this game was a complete anomaly. It's not something that you tend to prepare for. It's, It's just not something you're going to see. And and as I mentioned during the the, when we previewed the game, starting lineup of seven one, seven feet six seven, six six, and even six four at the point. With two of the first three subs who get decent minutes off the bench, six nine and six ten. I mean, it's a huge team, and you're just not going to run into that. They kept saying it's the second tallest team in the nation. They never said who the tallest was, but this is a huge team. And what impressed me so much was that our interior D, our offensive rebounding, our, our rebounding in general, and just our overall defense was, I, I thought was absolutely spectacular for the entire 40 minutes. There there were no letdowns And Stetson shot well against us in the second half. Towson played okay in the second half and kept things a little tighter. This was just 40 really good minutes. Utah had the one perimeter Guy that seven threes and and he hit and he was pretty well guarded on some of those he he was just on fire and you know that happens but I, I mean we the defense I was just overwhelmingly impressed with the defense from start to finish and, and this is with some of the guys still not being you know right in step with what Kelvin wants and you know by that I mean crier a little bit Francis is still you know not, not the quickest Uh, laterally inside, we've talked about that, Tugler, Dunn, Wilson, not quite there, but the rotations were crisp, the, you know, getting to the ball, pressuring the ball, defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding. It it was, I was really, really impressed. I thought this would be a closer game than it turned out to be. And uh, and it was a close game until until prior hit those shots to put us back up. And then we won it from there. The elephant in the room, the huge elephant in the room was the absolutely abysmal free throw shooting. And and this could have been a better win had we been able to make free throws. And I was at the the football game shortly thereafter and everyone at the game was talking like, hey, we just beat Utah by 10. This is a big win. But everyone wanted to talk about the free throw shooting. And uh, (laughs) yeah, I talked to a lot of people about that one person. You know him, Steve, Rob. He, he had mentioned that he compared it to, to biathlete, which I thought was sort of interesting. He said that, you know, we work so hard on D that, and in terms of rebounding that over the past several years, both the field goal and the free throw shooting hasn't been great. And that may be the reason, you know, if you're a biathlete, you, you ski your butt off, you get to where you need to go. You flip off the skis, you pick up the rifle and, and you have to shoot accurately the Olympians do it well, but there are others, even Olympians, that don't do it as, as accurately. And So, you know, there could be some truth to that. I just happen to think that it's it's a matter of primarily of concentration, and you guys can talk about it more, but, you know, Cryer's going to be a great free-throw shooter yeah, the whole he season. Is. He's not going to miss. But we need especially the perimeter guys, Shed, Dunn, Dunn Sharp, yeah. Arsenault, even Roberts, to, to shoot a better percentage. We can get away with not being as great a shooting team as maybe some others, but but we need to be shooting 70% from the line. We can make up for maybe missing other shots, maybe not being a great free throw shooting team with the offensive rebounding, with the defense, with the offensive efficiency, moving the ball, but you know, shooting around 50%, that's going to hurt us down the line against the better teams.
0: Yeah, I think we'll get there. I think it's, I think some kids are still getting used to the program and the surroundings. And certainly folks like Dunn are going to improve. I mean, he's been at roughly 80% free throw shooter in the I think
1: it was, I think it was like 82.3 last year at, at Temple.
0: Yeah, so what do you think, Tom?
1: I think our quickness was the story in this game. So it was sometime in the first half. Our, our quickness and our and our pressure on defense, you know, they're a taller team. You know, they're a lot slower team. And, uh, you know, I think our quickness, we got some deflections, got some steals. I think that was the key to the game. Bill mentioned Criers, two big shots. I, I can't remember exactly, but it might have been when they went to a 1-3-1. Do you guys recall if it was or it was, I it was against Man-to-Man? No. Uh, I,
2: think I, know it was, I think it was Man.
1: Okay, it was Man, yeah, because I think they went to a 1-3-1 after – Cryer hit those shots because they were they were down. I think they were trying to throw some change it up, throw something yeah. different as because they had done that the night before against against Wake Forest. Yeah, those two shots by Crier were huge. Just a great shooter.
0: It's such a quick release. I mean, I want to say yeah. his release is even yep. quicker than Sasser's. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was a good win. They came back and Utah tied it up. I think it was sometime in the second half. I can't remember how much time was left. But I think uh, it was on the next couple of possessions where we had the two big threes by by LJ, and yeah, it was a good win.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And for the Utah game, I called it a statement game because Utah's size, skill, and the question out there as to whether our smaller team, especially with how we've been playing four out and one in, could defend an offensive rebound against a big, rugged, and skilled team. Now, if you look at the starters, we kept the same starters, Shed, Cryer, Dunn, Roberts, and Francis— Our rotation, however, tightened up considerably against a tougher opponent in Utah, with Cryer Shedd both playing 33 minutes. Malik Wilson, our primary point guard backup, only played four minutes and was ineffective. As I stated to Bill last episode, I'm not convinced Wilson handles the ball or distributes it well enough to play big minutes against tougher teams, and we saw a coach feeling that same way, at least for the time being. Interestingly enough, even Francis and Tugler's minutes shrunk to 25 minutes between the two. So we saw a lot of Shedd, Cryer, Roberts, Arsenault, and either Sharp or Dunn in the lineup. Carlson, their seven foot power forward that shoots threes, started hot, but I'm going to give Arsenault credit for containing him after that initial burst. Turns out Arsenault is not necessarily stuffing the box score at this point, but he's competing and his play is contributing to winning. He took all the backup minutes of the four with Walker not seeing the floor at all this game. As a team, we got off to a fast start again for the second game in a row. We were up 39-30 at the half. Then we battled them in the second where a few times I thought we'd pull away until Gabe Madsen just went crazy hitting threes from everywhere on the court. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm, offensively, our effective field goal percentage was at standard at 51.61%. We protected the ball extremely well with turnover percentage at 10.23% versus our norm last year at 15.4. So that was exceptional. We also offensive rebounded slightly below standard at 30.77% versus 37% last year. But again, keep in mind, this was a huge team and we out rebounded rebound by one overall. On D, we limited Utah to 45.28% field goal percentage. A little bit above norm, forced them to 21.28% turnovers, which was right on par, and limited their 3 percent shooting to 32.3%, which was a little bit worse than what we normally do. But again, this is with one player going crazy in the second half. Basically, we were close to our overall norms last year against a tough, highly skilled team that will likely be the biggest one we play this season. So I would say test passed on whether we're going to be able to play against big teams with our small lineup. In fact, Coach went all in in this game where our two primary fives hardly played at all. So it was really an impressive display by this young team. And finally, we go to the championship game against Dayton, where, of course, the Cougars capped off the tournament by winning the championship by 14, 69 to 55 over Dayton. Tom, what are your thoughts on the win to win the actual tournament?
1: I think the the Dayton game was our best overall game. You could see things uh, finally clicking on. You could see things clicking on offense and defense. You know, our rotations, the pick and roll defense, uh, the monstering. It's not all there yet. Today is what November twenty second. You know, selection Sunday is not till what like March twelfth or something like that. So it's uh, you know you know it's like three months away. So. Those rotations will get better. The monster defense will get better. They'll be more. They'll be quicker. They'll be more aggressive. We'll get more deflections out of it. Uh, the three other guys in the monster, you know, they're going to get to they're going to get to their spots more intuitively as the season goes on. Pick and roll defense, you know, like I said, is going to improve too. But overall, you know, you you can see things all coming together. In front of basically, it was a home crowd, and I think there's certain players. Uh, Shed being one of them, I just think they just love. When, a, uh, you know, the silence, of the crowd, they put it in another gear. Our first couple of games of the of the season against Monroe and can't remember who else we played Corpus Christi. We didn't need shed.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: he didn't shoot much. He didn't score much. He didn't need to there. You know, he just distributed the ball to other guys. But you know what? When the going gets tough, Jamal shed gets going. He's at his best when his best is needed. And I wouldn't trade him for any other point guard in the country. You know, they're talking about the Marquette. Kolick being the best point guard in the country, uh, wouldn't trade him for Jamal Shedd.
0: Yeah, absolutely not.
2: What do you think, Bill? Well, Tom, thanks. You just stole my completely stole my thunder. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, and, and, and I'll be and I'll be previewing the the Marquette UT game. And yeah, you just you just I uh, uh, <laughs> I might as well leave because you just <laughs> took <just laughs> all the words out of my mouth. No, yeah, go ahead, gonna, Bill. Uh, say what you're going to say. Actually, yeah. I was going to start. Well, number one. The rebounding, especially in the first half, was awesome. We had 10 boards in the first, 10 offensive rebounds in the first half. I think they might have had one. I'm not sure I could be wrong, Like it could have been zero, but I think it was 10 1. But the offensive rebounding was incredible. We controlled the inside, and, and that was impressive to see. They've got a power forward on the team whose last name is Elvis. And I thought to myself, well, Elvis is in the building, but if you if you really if you really are talking about the king, it's absolutely Jamal Shed. He was so good in that game. Crier was was really good as well, and the two of them yep. had huge first halves. And uh, you know, we got up in the second half, and it was a little reminiscent to the Towson game, except that Dayton's got a ton more talent, yes, and, and a much we played player. and we played better, but it was a game where, where we got up double, double digits and just, you know, didn't let them get back into it. We held on and, you know, we won the game. The offensive rebounding, I, I was really impressed with that. And and back to Shed, and I I had fully intended to compare him to Kolek. You know, he gets, I, I was listening, I watched Marquette's last two games against UCLA and then last night against Kansas. And you, know, you got Jay Billis saying he's the best point guard in the country, and and I'm from Milwaukee, so I'm a little biased toward Marquette, and and uh-huh. I agree that he's a he's a he's really good, good player. He's yeah. very good. But here's the thing: everyone, I think, when they rate players, it's largely based on their offensive skill set, what yeah. they could do offensively. They're just not even remotely in the same class when it comes to defense. Shed yeah. is so good defensively, and that absolutely, in my opinion, I. I think he's the best point guard in the country based on everything that he does. He rebounds, you know, oftentimes he stops the other team's two guard. He's so good overall that to continually hear the, and I'm using air quotes when I say it's the experts saying that Kolick is the best point guard in the country. And I've heard this about some of the other point guards. They're just missing the boat because Shed is so good on both ends of the court. Yeah. He, he was credible in this game. I was, Really impressed. You know, we, we still didn't shoot the ball all that well. And, and I'll say this about other teams as well as us. It's still early. And Tom, you alluded to it earlier. It's still early in the season. And the shots hopefully will come around. Yeah, I'd like to see because we are such a kind of perimeter oriented team. At least our strength and our depth is the backcourt and the, you know, maybe the swingman, the three. I'd like to see us hitting a better percentage of the shots, especially the open shots. Uh, And we had a bunch of them in the second half against Dayton. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully it'll come. It's still early in the season. They're similar maybe to what's going on with the free throws where they're working so damn hard defensively. And they're so good and so effective defensively. Maybe it is taking a little bit of a toll on the offense, on the shooting. That's about the the only negative I really saw in that game.
0: Yeah, I hate to break it to you, Bill, but we never shoot well, right? If you go past the last four or five years, it's about where we're at now. We've had one good year, which was the Elite Eight year, where we were near elite status. But every other year, we've been like around 100, 100 plus. And we're right there right now as well. So I think, you know, to your point, I think you're spot on in terms of the way we play D. It's going to take a toll on your offense, regardless. And I'll, right?
1: well, I'll but in here. Uh, I think there's uh, some validity to, you know, our shooting. Uh, you expend a lot of energy on, you know, physically on defense, but you also spend a lot of mental energy on defense. Exactly. Every, yeah, and, and every every coach has an emphasis. You know, if you go to a practice within the first thirty minutes, you'll know what that coach emphasizes. It might be offense. It might de- be defense. Coach Sampson has mentioned before that. You can't be good at everything. Yeah. It's like the restaurant that has, uh, you know, 75 things on the menu and there's so many things on the menu that none of them are good, you know, as opposed to maybe a restaurant that concentrates on 5 things and they're and they're really really good. So, you know, coach Sampson says you got to identify what you want to be good at at the beginning of the year and then uh, that that's your emphasis and it's definitely with us is defense. You go back to Kelvin's years at Oklahoma. And people jokingly said that he needed to hire an offensive coordinator. So, you know, <laughs> it goes back to his his OU days. Not that we don't do you know really good stuff on offense. Is you got to have an emphasis. I mean, in, in our culture is you win by defending and you win by rebounding. Yes, you share the ball on offense. You play unselfish. Everybody has a role. You know, you're not going to have bad shooters taking shots. I think it's just the whole emphasis we're it that. that's why we're the program we are. There's nobody else in the country that does what uh, the Houston Cougars do.
0: Yeah, not completely agree. I have no issue with our shooting percentage. And, yeah, would we like to score more efficiently? Sure. But guess what? We offensive rebound like heck to make up for it, and that results in an adjusted offensive efficiency ranking of 10th. We're 10th in yeah. the nation offensively. And, uh, so uh, I'm going
1: but, to butt in one more time, guys. Okay, uh, you know, our summer workouts – There's three things we work on every single day in the summer. It's transition defense. It's the monster. And it's pick and roll defense. Other programs, they're not working on that. They're working on uh, what we call skill development, you know, with the guards, forwards, whatever. They're, you know, guys work on their post moves. Our guys are expected to do that that on their own time.
0: Yeah. You know, when they
1: get in the staff, you know, they're, they're working on those three things. And another thing is when Kelvin recruits big men. First thing he looks at is can they play pick and roll defense? Not looking at offense. That's all a factor. I mean, you're not just going to, you know, the guy has to have a little bit of, you know, offensive potential, but they're looking at does he have a motor? Can he rebound? Does he have the foot speed to play pick and roll defense? Because if he doesn't, he's not a good fit for the program. That's why guys like, you know, Zach E.D., Hunter Dickinson, they wouldn't be good fits for our program. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to come up to the line of scrimmage on a ball screen. And move their feet fast enough to, to play that pick and roll defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you, Tom, in terms of we saved the best for last in the Charleston Classic. And we appear to be getting into an eight-man rotation that coach can really trust. Starters, again, were Jamal Shedd, LJ Cryer, Damian Dunn, Juan Roberts, and Javier Francis. We saw primarily Sharp, Tugler, Arsenault off the bench. Malik Wilson in this game, again, only played eight minutes. Ramon Walker only played one minute. This game, we saw more of our big lineup with Roberts and Francis playing together more frequently, which is great to see. Francis contributing with nine rebounds, five offensive, and one block. Cryer and Shedd, as you guys had both mentioned, were the stars controlling the game with 18 points and 16 points apiece. Roberts was money down low, going five of six for 10 points and eight rebounds. And with Santos and Holmes going off for Dayton, especially in the first half, I know we've been giving Dunn a hard time, but I felt like once we put Dunn on Santos, it made a huge difference on D. We controlled the game the whole way, winning each of the first three quartiles of the game until we let the backups clear the bench late in the fourth quartile. Now, from an analytics perspective, On offense, we didn't shoot great at 49.21% effective field goal percentage, which was a little bit below our norm. But man, we protected the ball extremely well with turnover percentage at 12.32%, which is well below our norm. And we offensive rebounded at an exceptional level this game at 44.74%, which is crazy. On D, we limited Dayton to 44.68% field goal percentage, which was right around our norm, forced them to 19.43 turnover percentage and limited their three-point percentage to 22.2% in the end. And this is after they had a fast start to begin with, especially with Santos. We blocked 13.79% of their two-point shots. Basically, we played to our standard against our toughest opponent to date and really stifled them, especially on the three-point line. So a great tournament for our Cougars where we learned a bit more about this year's team. Any last points from the two of you before we head into the upcoming games?
2: Yeah. Can I defend myself real quickly? Sure.
0: (laughs) There's nothing to defend, but yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, well, (laughs) well, maybe. Focusing on the defense, nobody's going to argue with that. That's the number one priority. If you're not playing defense, you're not playing for Calvin. No question about it. And I'll be the first to argue that this year we're as deep on the perimeter as we've ever been. And that's why I'm making the comment about shooting better because we've got more shooters and we've got good shooters. And again, it's early in the season, like I mentioned, so I'm sure it's going to get better. They're going to get more comfortable. Yes, you're absolutely right, Steve. We haven't shot well in the past. And like I said, it could be due to the unbelievable effort, both mentally and physically that we expend on defense. But, We've got more shooters than we've ever had. We've got a deep bench. So, you know, some of these guys are going to come in. They're going to be fresh. They're not going to be playing a ton of minutes and expending a ton of energy. We've got scorers. We've got shooters. This team is set up to be a better shooting team than we've been in the past. But we should be a better shooting team than we've been in the past because we do have better shooters.
0: Okay, why don't we get to the upcoming games at this point, point? and Montana's up first. And since you were starting to talk, Bill, why don't you cover it first, and what are your thoughts on Montana?
2: Okay, uh, this, is, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, they're in the big sky. They're predicted, typically, a, a one-bid conference. They're predicted to come in about fourth place is what I've generally seen, maybe third, but about fourth place. They're typically about a five hundred team, a little better than five hundred, and that's including the conference. They've got a good a good coach, Travis Dequire, three starters back. Their strength is their backcourt. And this is where it'll get interesting in a second. Their point guard, his name's Brandon Whitney. He's, he does everything well. He's a good player. He's again, he's playing at Montana, so you know, unfortunately, their strength runs right into our strength. And so you know, no no worries there against Shed. Here's the interesting one, and I love this. They're two guards. This is there one all-conference player. His name's Anel Moody. He's 6'3 shooting guard. This is his seventh year in college. He's been at two schools for two years and third for three years. I didn't know that a seven-year player existed. I mean, he's, he's as old as we are. Uh, <laughs> you know, I could be wrong, but I was watching ESPN Classic recently, and I saw... U of H back in 83 against Memphis state in the tournament and, and uh, Drexler going up and dunking over uh, Andre Turner from Memphis state, that, that amazing dunk. Yep. I thought I might've seen Moody on the bench, just shaking his head because <laughs> he was, he was playing back then. I mean, this guy, he's married. He has two kids. He, he, he is a 40% shooter, which is good. But uh, my main concern is that, you know, being a senior citizen and being around for so long, I'm, more con- I'm certainly not concerned with him out playing Shed or Cryer. I'm, I'm more concerned with him putting them in a timeout if they start to do too much <laughs> to him because he's, he's as old as everyone's fathers. I, I didn't know that you could still be receiving Social uh, Security and have your NCAA eligibility, but apparently that's the case. They've got one other player, a 6'9 player named Deshaun Thomas, he's led them in scoring in in one game uh, with 23 and they've played one decent team so far. They're two and two. They lost at Oregon by 14. Other than that, they, they lost at home to North Dakota state by nine. They beat Cal Davis by 13. They beat Northwest Indiana who I think they're applying to become a division 12 school. uh, (laughs) And So, you know, they're two and two They're This is not going to be an overly competitive game. You know, Shed and Cryer are going to shut down their strength, which is the backcourt They're you know, and and our guards off the bench. I think if we make our free throws, we win by 25. If we don't shoot particularly well at the line, maybe we win by 17, 18. But this not too dissimilar to to Stetson, to Towson, to A&M Corpus Christi. Yeah, very similar. It's not going to be a, it's a nice, kind of relaxing game after for the Charleston and heading into the uh, Big 12 Big E's challenge.
0: Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not a great matchup for them. What do you think, Tom?
1: Two reasons to watch the game. One, we're all Houston Cougar fans. You know, Houston Cougar basketball fans. Number two, I want to see Ramon and Lily play. Two reasons to watch the game. You guys mentioned it. They're similar, like in Ken Palm, the, the Towson-Stetson. Uh, I think he'll be 25-30, 35-point 30, game. Bill mentioned this. They have two wins. One was over Cal Davis. And, Bill, I think the their first win was actually against a school called Northwest Indian College, <laughs> which makes me wonder, is there a Southeast Indian College?
2: <laughs> oh, I you thought know, I, they, I thought there was an A at the end. I thought it was Indiana, but maybe – Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm losing my vision in my old age. I need I yeah. need to invest in some reading glasses. They're,
1: they're one of those teams that when you go to ESPN and you look at the scores, they don't have their logo on there. Something wow. gray. It's something gray. So I saw that. Anyway, should be a good game to get Big Set in there. Uh, like I said, to get Lily in there, and uh, hopefully Ramon, you know, see some early time, and even uh, uh, Wilson too because His minutes weren't, you know, he didn't get a whole lot of minutes in the Charleston Classic. Uh, it also gives Shed a chance to rest his legs. You know, we're having about a week between games, and it'll give Shed a little bit more. And then, you know, he can have really, really fresh legs when we play uh, Xavier the following Friday.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm not gonna spend too much time on the analytics for this game either. All I'll say is in Ken Palm, we're number two in Montana is 259. And both the offensive and defensive adjust efficiency ratings reflect that on both sides. So it's going to be another 30 point win. But hopefully, as you guys have mentioned as well, Wilson and Walker will get more minutes to get better and hopefully gain the trust of coach so that they can get a few more minutes come the important games in conference. And we'll see. I mean, this should definitely be the game where they're going to get substantial minutes to prove them. Now, next, let's get into our marquee game in these next two weeks versus Xavier. Not the same opponent as originally anticipated, giving Fremantle is out for the season, but still number 31 in Ken Palm right now. What's your coach's perspective on the game, Tom? You can kick things off.
1: Sean Miller, excellent coach. Uh, we all know him from his days uh, at Arizona, and before that, he was at Xavier. You know, this is the second, second time at Xavier. Sean Miller, yeah, like I said, Miller, really, really good coach. You know, his team's will always play hard, primarily a, m- a man-to-man defensive team. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a a, a a good matchup. We're playing on the road. be a true road game. Uh, it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's a sellout. But like I said earlier, you know, uh, we have some guys. We got some dogs that really, when you know, we're on the road and they're getting rowdy. We got some guys that that just thrive uh, in those in those type of environments. So I'm looking to see a big game from from Roberts and Shed, and Crier. I think those are the three uh, three guys. Uh, that will be key this year. You know, when we have those three on the floor, I feel pretty confident. Anytime one of those three is not on the floor, or sometimes we have two of those three that aren't on the floor, it seems like. Uh, all of a sudden you know elite is elite is cut so so that's my coach's perspective we're not going to do anything different in our defensive you know we'll do we'll, we do what we do i think we come out with a 10 10 12 14 point victory
0: all right how about you bill what do you think
2: well you mentioned it tom this is the first thing i wrote down was that this is the first true road game so i think with the charleston tournament i think you know we're much better set up for the first road game uh, but nevertheless it'll be Xavier fans, and and it'll be a building. Uh, I was all over us to win this game easily. Xavier's got a lot of new players. Right now, they're 3-2. and It's a a little bit misleading, though. They beat Robert Morris by 14. Big deal. They beat Jacksonville by 23. Big deal. They lost at Purdue by 12, which is not a terrible loss at all. They lost to Washington by 3, which made me think, okay, this is – playing out exactly like I thought it would. Xavier's going to take some time to get better, and they're probably not that good right now. And then they come out and they just crush St. Mary's by 17, which yeah. I was not expecting to see. I mean, that's, yeah, a, a that's, shocker. A, that's a really good win. And maybe Miller's got them playing together a little sooner than anticipated, but that's a really solid win, big win. We previously mentioned the, the three who are supposed to be the three Good players for them. They're their three best players, all coming from Conference USA, North Texas. The six ten player uh, Abu Osmane, the six foot point guard who, who everyone likes, Davian McKnight from Western Kentucky, and then Rice's leading scorer from last year, Quincy Oliveri, the six two shooting guard. Again, I think Shed and and Crier and and the rest of our perimeter guys make it really tough for them in the five. Games that they've played, Oliveri and McKnight have either led them in scoring or been right up there. They've got another guy who's played very well. He's a six-six swingman. His name is Desmond Claude. He was on the bench last year, and their strength was their perimeter, their big guard shooting small forward. And so he didn't get much minutes, but he scored twenty-five in a game already. And Sean Miller had said going into the season that he'd by far make the biggest jump of any of their players. And, and so far, it looks like he's right. So it, for them, it's going to be 6'2", shooting guard, six-foot point guard, 6'6", swing man. And and that plays into our strength again. So I, I like the matchup. They've got a good team. This is going to be a challenge for us. The free throws could come into play. But I think in the end, I think you're pretty spot on, Tom. I, I have us winning by between 8-12.
0: Yeah, from an analytics perspective, as I had mentioned earlier on, Houston's number two in Ken Palm, Xavier's 31st. Xavier's going to try to speed things up, but we've always been great at controlling pace with Coach Sampson. On the offensive side, we're 10th in offensive efficiency, where Xavier this year is actually 17th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So they've dramatically improved since year one of Sean Miller and are starting to take on more of a historical identity on that side. On the flip side, we're number two in adjusted defensive efficiency while Xavier is 61st in adjusted offensive efficiency. Xavier's low good shooting team at 162, just above our threshold of bad at 175, and they're a bad offensive rebounding team at 278. The only thing they do well is protect the ball with turnover ranking number 28th in the country. Matched up against our number 26th effective field goal percentage d that defends every shot it will be tough going for xavier on the other side of the ball all of xavier's d numbers look really really good this year they defend every shot and being number eight in effective field goal percentage defense and they're equally adept at both defending the three and the two fortunately they do not defensive rebound very well So that will play into our strength of offensive rebounding, where we're still number 16th in the country this year. This is going to be a tight one. I'm in complete agreement with both of you that it's going to be tight, similar to the Utah game, and I'm anticipating about a 10-point win as well. So now let's get into the Cougars' final game we're previewing this week, and that's Rice. They're a cross-down rival, sort of, but not really in hoops. What's your guys' perspective on this? And Bill, why don't you kick it off?
2: Okay, well, Rice, they're currently one in three. Predicted, I've seen them, three different experts predicting the American, where Rice is now playing, and predicted them, all three, 13th out of 14. This is not a good team. They do have a win against a Houston team to start the year, their one win. Of course, <laughs> that's against the mighty University of St. Thomas, or St. Thomas University. So they've lost to Harvard, gave up 89 points. Lost to UT, gave up 80 points. Lost to Indiana State, gave up 103 points. This is not a good defensive team, particularly not a good defensive team, but it's just not a good team. They have actually got a a decent coach, uh, Scott Rapa, in his sixth year, but unless they're competing with schools based on GPAs rather than how many points you can score, they're just not going to do well. Uh, read one of the experts said that that rice is predicted to win the american based on gpa and they'll probably be on a zero to four scale probably you'll like this steve they'll probably be a three and a half point favorite over memphis but uh <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's rice's only strength they they're just not gonna compete with the of age.
0: yeah it'll definitely be tough going for them what do you think tom
1: Okay, before I get into Rice, which will take, you know, about two seconds, <laughs> get, uh, get back to the Xavier game. If you look at the Dayton game, we played that, what was it, last Sunday? And then we have Montana on a Friday, and then we play Xavier on a Friday. So we're basically going to have two weeks of practice before we play Xavier. So yeah. uh, I don't think our starters are going to log a bunch of minutes against Montana. So we should be rested. Good so that, point. That You know, that two weeks of practice— we played some games now, so the coaching staff has stuff on film uh, that we need to get better at, whether it's you know offensively, defensively. I think we're going to see a lot of improvement over the next couple of weeks. Getting to Rice, uh, I got one thing to say about Rice: it's it's not a football game. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. I'm not going to get much into the analytics on this one either. I mean, we're number two; they're 201st at this point. You look at their stats in advanced analytics. And it's read across the board on all major categories other than defensive rebounding. So I'm not going to waste time. This is going to be a massacre by 30 plus points. I'm actually just hoping for a 40 point win to punish them after our embarrassing loss of them in football. This. So anyways, now finally, let's preview a few games of interest across the Big 12 during the next couple of weeks, giving particular attention to the fun Big 12 Big East challenge. I love these conference versus conference challenges because it truly provides fans with some insight into relative strength across different conferences for not only bragging rights, but also for positioning come tourney time. So some really important games, in my opinion. Which games are you guys paying close attention to? And Tom, why don't you kick things off?
1: Okay, I did my homework. I got them highlighted. U of H Xavier, of course. Yes. All right. But the next two games... Yukon and Kansas. Yeah. And then the Evil Empire versus Marquette. I get, they're not really an Evil Empire because they're not an Empire. Texas
0: <laughs> against Marquette.
1: All right. The Evil Underachievers. <laughs>
0: the Evil there Underachievers. Anything specifically you're, you're looking out for in those games? I
1: don't know. Kansas has already played, let's see, Kentucky. They played uh, Tennessee.
0: Did they, and, they uh, where, where's the Tennessee game? I think it's going on right now or just uh, ended.
1: It, it it's over. Uh, it, it was over about an hour and a half ago. Uh, okay. Kansas beat Tennessee. Nice. It was I think it was tied at it was tied at halftime. But KU had another game. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Kentucky. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kentucky. So they've already had like three really marked really tough games, games yeah. and and now they're going to go up against UConn. So you know, besides our game with Xavier, I'm really looking forward to the the UConn Kansas game, and then number. One B would be the Texas Marquette uh, Marquette game. We're going to see Rodney Terry, yep, inter- interim coach last year taking over for Chris Beard. We'll see if he can duplicate it, uh, you know, under his own watch.
0: Yeah, and I always love seeing Chaka Smart come back, right? Play his yes, old team and uh, give him a good kick in the rear end, right?
1: That was good scheduling by uh, the conference
0: to put to put those two together. Yeah. How about you, Bill? Which ones are you looking forward to?
2: Well, certainly Marquette, Texas. Again, being from Milwaukee and mentioned earlier that I had fully intended to compare Tyler Kolek with Jamal Shedd. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've watched Marquette in, in their last two games, as I mentioned, UCLA and, and Kansas. Really was fascinated watching the game last night. Marquette just dominated Kansas. I think it was, as much as I'd love to say that that Marquette is phenomenal, and, and they're going to be phenomenal all year. Kansas, to me, looked really flat. They they yeah. were out-hustled. They were outplayed. Marquette was, if not the most, they were right up at the top in terms of offensive efficiency last year. They're really good. They don't turn the ball over. They're a small team, but 89% of their scoring is back from last year. So they, they've got a good, deep team. On the one hand, they didn't look that good against ucla who's not an especially good team the day before but they took it to kansas everywhere they just outplayed them kansas is so much bigger than marquette marquette's a small team their best big guy got taken in the first round of the nba draft they're not a big team they're a very good team defensive team but kansas this is a game that kansas should win eight out of ten times and they really got run off the floor. Marquette's a, a balanced scoring team. They play hard. They play really hard. You know, Shaka is an outstanding coach. Someone made a comment to me. He's actually, uh, I've got to give him a lot of credit. He's our company attorney, and he said to me at lunch the other day, "You know, it looks like Shaka Shaka does really well." And uh, oh, he said that University of Texas is a very good team. But they can't seem to play well or win when shock is on the floor. So where I might <laughs> you know, where I might otherwise say that this is gonna be a very close game because UT has got a lot of really, really good players. Several of them went to the NBA camps, the draft camps, ended up coming back, the combine, came back to school. I mean, they've got an overwhelming amount of talent. They they don't seem to play the best. Defense from time to time, they can tend to turn the ball over, maybe take some bad shots, but they have got just a lot of talent on that team. I thought that this game was going to go down to the wire, but but after, after learning that UT just can't play well with Shaka on the floor, uh, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to say that, that Marquette wins this game by maybe six to eight points.
0: Okay, what was the other game that you were watching? Oh, is is KU UConn? Oh, right? the
2: other game. Yeah, the other game for me was KU. UConn and got to think that, as I mentioned early in the season, I think that last night against Marquette was a bit of an aberration. They, you know, yeah. it's early in the season and it, it just, you know, Dickinson's been so good. Hunter Dickinson, the 7 1 center, has been so good for them so far as the, the third leading scorer in the country. And he started out well against Marquette and then he did nothing the rest of the game. They didn't get him the ball, he didn't seem to be particularly aggressive. I think think because they're playing at home it's going to be it's going to be a good game but I, I think they beat they beat Connecticut I, I watched Connecticut play play UT they scored 30 points in the first 10 minutes at 29 points they were on their way to scoring 700 points Texas was playing no defense and to Rodney Terry's credit he switched to his zone and, and it kind of slowed the game down and and you know the final score was 81-71 so it wasn't a Incredibly high-scoring game based on the way, based on the first 10 minutes. Texas has a lot of good players. Uh, I'm sorry, UConn has a lot of good players, really good players. they brought in some good, bigger guys that they could shoot from the perimeter. They, they've got good depth. They're smart. They're not a turnover team, but I think at Kansas, I think Kansas plays like Kansas, and I think it's about a four- or five-point win. A couple
1: of quick notes about Kansas, guys. I know it's early in the season, but... This is probably the most vulnerable I've seen him in a while. You look at Hunter Dickinson, you know, coming from Michigan. What did Michigan do when Hunter Dickinson played for him?
2: I agree with you, and I, I make
1: that how, same how argument. Did, how far did how far did Michigan go?
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I, I'm not there yet. He's a he's a really tough uh, player. I don't. Yeah, he, think. He's, good. he's good. Okay. you right. uh, 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 also, also may want to com-
2: compare Bill Self to uh, yeah to. To uh, John Howard. John Howard,
0: yeah, I would agree. It's like okay. you, you put in uh, Hunter Dickinson with self. So uh, I'm not going to say an ill word unless they okay two shame grounded. Uh, another us. <laughs> uh, another
1: point about Kansas, they got Nick, Nick Timberlake from Towson in the portal. You know, he was projected to start.
0: And yeah, he yes has been good,
1: and they got him for shooting. Uh, yeah. he he very he barely played the other day, so that could that could be something going forward to look at Kansas if teams just start packing it in on on Dickinson and Darren some other guys uh you know Darren some other guys to shoot Bill self another, another thing you know he's coming off heart surgery we don't know yet what type of effect it's going to have on his coaching you know cuz you got to be real on this there's been some coaches that have had heart problems and they they were never the same coach again Yeah, You know, Bob Huggins toned it down. He had that uh, Don Haskins at at UTEP, too. Uh, You know, by the time Tim Hardaway played for Don Haskins, he was in his calm period. So we'll see going forward.
0: Yeah, we'll see how it plays out this season, especially as it gets into the meat of the conference play, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, I think I'm similar to the two of you guys, where obviously KU and UConn's got to be one of the ones that we watch. This is the marquee matchup between the... Big 12 Biggies Challenge, though I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's going to be an interesting matchup. You've got two great bigs with Klinge and Dickinson, and then an interesting point guard matchup with Newton and Harris. From a statistics perspective, both teams are top 20 across the board, right? So it should be a dogfight. We'll be close. I actually think UConn wins, but I'm hoping for a KU win for the Big 12. And then the other team or game that I was going to be following is different than yours. It's the Baylor-Seton Hall game. And with Baylor at number 10, currently in Ken Palm, and Seton Hall at number 53. The, the If you look at the statistics across the board, they're actually very, very similar. Both teams are guard or wing-focused teams. It'll be interesting to see the Baylor triplets of Ray J. Dennis, Jalen Bridges, and Jacoby Walter versus Alamir Dawes, Kadari Richmond, and Dylan Wusu should be a fun game. Similar in strengths and weaknesses, like I mentioned earlier on. However, I think it'll probably be a 10-point win or roughly a 10-point win for Baylor because there's just a little bit better across the. So that's it for this episode seven of No Conference for Old Men podcast. And thanks again for Bill Walker joining us to co-host today. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if you follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We appreciate all the support and loyalty for those that have been with us from day one. Keeps us going and continues to reinforce our view that there is an interest out there for the type of deep college hoops analytics and insights we're trying to provide for Cougar and big 12 fans also please give us a follow on our twitter account no conference for old men thank you all again for listening and episode eight should come out same day next week so please be on the lookout listen down the next week and happy thanksgiving everyone